Scripture reading this morning is Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, found on page 848. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, found on page 848. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Amen. Thank you, Nancy. Let's, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts this morning this amazing, amazing challenge from our Lord and synthesizes all the Bible into one concise statement. The entire scriptures can be summed up into two very simple commands, to love God with all our hearts and to love one another. (laughs) If we can somehow get that basic, basic teaching in our hearts, it would truly transform our lives from completely and turn us really upside down for the Lord. Father, thank you for this portion of Scripture, uh, so powerful, so concise, so beautiful. I just pray as we study it this morning, you'd speak to our hearts. We need to understand what this means, Lord. So may your Spirit be with us to open our hearts in his In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So keep your Bibles open, Mark 12, verses 29 through 31. Again, just a summary statement of all of Scripture. uh, To love God with all our hearts, our souls, our minds our strength, and to lend love our neighbors as ourselves. In Mark 12, 31, Jesus tells us there's no other commandment greater than these. Uh, So this is Christ giving a preeminence in all of Scripture. So when Jesus does that, it should alert us and cause us to pause and say, okay, something is very important here to our lives. This command of God should not only help us prioritize our lives in relationship first with God, but how we relate with one another. I mean, think about how we relate within the marriage, the family, 
our communities, our neighbors, our church, our nation should define us. It it really also assaults some of our greatest enemies that are within us. Selfishness, greed, lust, pride that are the antithesis of what Christ would have us understand here. This call to love God and then love our fellow man can only be fulfilled when we begin to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us when we put our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to fulfill God's purpose, his design for us, and that is to be in a loving, personal relationship with him first, and then flowing out from that relationship, we are then able to meaningfully, deeply love one another. This portion of Scripture is so important, I've decided just to take two weeks, just here. Two weeks, just here, because it's so important for us to understand that we need to take our time. I don't want to really rush through it. So this week, we're going to ask a very simple question. What is love? I mean, our culture is thoroughly confused on this point. Would we not agree with that? I mean, if you turn on the TV, you would think that That love has to do with some uh, quick romance that's here today and gone tomorrow. Romance is awesome, right? Where's my wife? There we are. (laughs) But we've never got us past year number one, right? (laughs) We need to know truly what the love of Christ is to really uh, have a healthy marriage. You look to the um, world around us and they have such crazy ideas of what love is. And so we're going to ask this question this morning, what is love? If God's calling us to love him with all our hearts, souls, minds, strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves, then we certainly need to define what it is, right? We can start there. Next week, we're going to spend more time practically understanding how does this apply into our marriages and our daily lives. If God's inviting us to follow him in all things and and to love him and to love one another, then there has to be a practical way forward. And so we're going to look at that next week, how to obey God, how to love him, how to love one another. What does this all mean, really, in our families, our communities, our church here? And knowing how to love God and love others is going to radically change everything in our lives. So this morning, defining what love is, I want us to see two basic truths. The first is, God is love. Our brother, Mike Hurd, did you know I was preaching on this? I mean, this is just crazy. I mean, I have it right here in my notes. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, God is love. What does that actually mean? Uh, We're going to see that before anything was created, Anything before the angels, before the heavens and the earth was created, God is eternal, meaning that he has never been created. He's always been. That's the eternality of God. And within himself, he's always been love. Always. We're going to see what that actually means. And then the second truth is this, that God created us in his image. 
I mean, this is awesome stuff. He created you and I to be like him in certain respects. And because we've been created in his image, we have this capacity to love. That's the way we've been created. So let's look at these truths together this morning. God is love. Love comes from God. Years ago, uh, that centennial book, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, really helped me in this regard to see and understand what this is all about. He reminds us, C.S. Lewis, that, that for us to say that God is love, then God must be a social being. Now, I want you to hang in there with me on this. In other words, God, apart from creation, is community in and of himself. For love by its nature and definition always ex- is expressed from one to another. Love is not static, but always has an object, always is poured from one to another. This is where the doctrine of the Trinity is so crucial for us to understand that God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, meaning that from all of eternity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in love with one another, have loved one another. God is love, three persons in one. He's a social being. We see this love in a limited way, really. God gives us glimpses when Jesus walked on earth. When Jesus expressed it in his prayer uh, to the Father. Uh, In the upper room in John chapter 17, verse 24, listen to how Jesus prayed. He says, Father, he's now knowing that he's going to be crucified in hours, be raised from the dead, return back to heaven to be with the Father once again. He prays his Father, I desire that those who would believe in me would be with me where I will be. To see my glory that you've given me because what? Listen, you loved me before the foundation of the world. You loved me before the foundation of the world. In 1 John 4, 16, the the passage our brother, Pastor Mike Kerr, read to us this morning. God is love, the Apostle John wrote. The idea here is very unique. Again, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in love with one another. But the Apostle John doesn't let it rest there. Listen to what he says immediately following that call. If God is love, he said, whoever abides, whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Abiding in love is God's designing for us. In other words, if I claim to have a relationship with God, then I'm going to be a loving person. It can't be otherwise. If we claim to know him, Our love will always be evident to those around us. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were visiting someone in the hospital, and we were struggling to find out where that person's room was, and we had to just sit down in the emergency room uh, and wait for the person at the desk to, to, to try to help us find this person. And we were sitting there, and there's this elderly couple, and the wife was standing here and the husband was there obviously he was the person who needed attention and she was saying something to him but then he was saying this back he says i promised you i would not be mean to the doctors and nurses 
you could tell she's just pleading with him, please don't be yourself in this hospital. <laughs> Obviously, the guy was a grumpy guy. But I, my heart went out to him that he could hardly keep it in because all the years of his life, he, he fostered some kind of a bitterness that would flow to these poor doctors and nurses who were just trying to help him. You know, the world is just full of angry, selfish people, devoid of love. When the Apostle Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, he warned us that in the last days it would be like this. Listen to what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, ungrateful, heartless, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What a sad testimony of the nature of man. And yet, we have the gospel and the scriptures and our Lord and Savior Jesus that stands against the spirit of this age like almost a diamond against black velvet. That's the only way I can think of it. Love demonstrates to a world that has missed its God-given design and speaks loudly there's something better than greed, selfishness, bitterness, and pleasure. There's something better, much more enjoyable, much more happier to be a loving person, by the way. Love is God's given design to us to first be in relationship with him and then in relationship with one another. This is what Jesus is trying to explain to the scribe in Mark chapter 12, that loving is the greatest command of Scripture. There's no other command that surpasses it. It's what we are designed for because of who God is. When I first understood this years ago when I was going to Bible college, um, I'm a very, some of you know, who've gotten to know me, I'm a very type A task-oriented person, you know? You know about type A personalities? Uh, some of us know about that concept. Type A personalities tend to put the task first and people second. I'm type A. So if I walk by you in the hall and I'm thinking about what I got to do next, it's not because I don't love you. I'm a type A personality. I'm learning. I try to stop. Tasks are not more important than people, right? My brother Mike Hurd here, he's out slapping fives. He's hugging. <laughs> he's type B, you know? So we're kind of balancing each other out a little bit. But I will say this. People are more important than tasks. So I had to write on a card that the only two things that are going to matter in all of eternity, and I put this on my desk for years, just to remind myself, to check myself, that the only two things that are going to matter is my relationship with God and my relationship with people. You're not going to take all the things that you accomplished to heaven with you, but you will take the people that you influenced for Jesus Christ with you, and you will be with God forever and ever. So those are the only things that last. So those have to be primary. That's why Jesus said this is the most important thing. Now, how do we know what love is? Well, 
God demonstrated it in Jesus. If we're scratching our heads and saying, well, like, what does it look like? Well, Jesus is, is where we need to go to see. Jesus is the perfect expression of God's love to a world desperate for it. When we look at Jesus, who was God and is God, who became man, who took on flesh, the, the role of a servant to demonstrate to us who God is, what it looks like, then we can see what love really is. Romans 5, 8 teaches us that God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Apostle Paul is helping us to know what, God, what God's love looks like here. It's sacrificial. It's other-centered. It ended on a bloody cross where Jesus, for our sake, went willingly to die for our sins that we may be forgiven and have a relationship with God forever and ever and ever. Good news. By the way, when we go to this Lord's table, that's what it's all about, to remind ourselves that's the entry point to our relation with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So he is the the entry point, and he demonstrates love and gives himself up for us that we may have this beautiful, wonderful, eternal relationship with God and be forgiven. We all need to be forgiven, right? If you don't think you need to be forgiven, please come see me because you are a sociopath (laughs) or a narcissist. You have a mental disease. Recently, I read about a mother who let her seven-year-old boy out to play in the backyard somewhere in the Midwest where the Rocky Mountains are. It really caught my attention, this article. And she lets him out. About five minutes later, she hears his screaming. She looks out the window, and a cougar is attacking her seven-year-old boy. The mother, hearing the yells, goes running out and jumps on the cougar. After wrestling with the cougar for five minutes, the cougar finally lets the the boy go. You know, it had to be uh, airlifted to the hospital, a lot of stitches and stuff, but the boy survived, the mother survived. Let's ask a question. What if the mother just let the boy be eaten? You know, right from the window. You know, she just looked on. I think we would all say that she was either insane or simply loved herself more than the boy. But because she literally risked her life for the boy, we know her love was demonstrated. You see, that's what love looks like. It's sacrificial. We put ourselves aside and go running after that other person because we love that person. In a similar way, God came running towards us in the person of Jesus Christ because he loves us. God so loved the world, Scripture says, he gave his only begotten son. Now, getting to this passage, we not only see it through the cross, but when we read the scriptures, we see the love of God demonstrated again and again through Christ to the people around him in the Gospels. That's why the Gospels are such a wonderful, wonderful uh, books to study in the scriptures. 
right here in chapter 12 of Mark, the scribe asked Jesus, look at the passage with me, chapter 12, verse 28. Remember, he's seeing Jesus arguing with other scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law. And this man comes up to Jesus and asks Jesus, what is the most important command in Scripture? Remember now, he's one of many groups that were going to Jesus that were trying to trap Jesus and and who were opposed to Jesus, trying to destroy Jesus. We've been talking about that the past several weeks. In Mark 11 and 12, we see the Pharisees, elders, priests, Herodians, seeking to trap him, to have him arrested so they can get rid of him. He was a nuisance. But this scribe, this scribe was different. And we see Christ's love for him. He was an expert in the law, which means that he knew the scripture well. So how does the Lord respond to him? I love this. He responds with scripture, quoting from two passages in the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He first quotes from Deuteronomy, which is called the Shema. It's a prayer that the Jewish people still repeat today. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and so on. Then Jesus proceeds to another scripture in Leviticus 19 about loving one's neighbor as oneself. Jesus is teaching and exhorting here, not rebuking. Because if you read chapters 11 and 12 of Mark, you find Jesus rebuking right and left. He's overturning the, the tables in the temple. He's rebuking the Pharisees. But he takes the time with this scribe because he sees something different in him. Look at verse 32, how the scribe responds. After he hears, he says, you're right. You're right. You know, by the way, that's where it all goes well for us. When we can say, when we hear the words of Jesus, you're right. It all goes well. If you're struggling to accept what he says, it's not going to go well for you. I can tell you that right now. So he says, you're right, teacher. You have truly said, you spoke the truth that God is one and there's no other besides him. Then Jesus affirms him. Look at verse 34. You are not far from the kingdom of God. I love that. Why? Because he was listening. He was receiving. He was not rejecting. This was not a man trying to trap Jesus. This was a man trying to learn from him. Humbling himself. Pondering if Jesus truly was the promised Messiah. And remember, this was one of many priests who ultimately would accept Jesus Christ as Savior. We know there was Nicodemus who defended Jesus uh, in the court when Jesus was arrested. When Jesus died, it was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who were priests who put up probably in the, in the neighborhood of about $10,000 for his burial. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, we see a contingent of Pharisees who were believing in Jesus Christ. So there were many who were watching here, wondering and listening, and because God loved them as well. Not all were antagonistic. So when we think of love, 
we see in the scripture that it's sacrificial instead of selfish. It's a reflection of who God is because God is love. And we see it fully demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ, who showed us love throughout the Gospels and ultimately by going to the cross that you and I may be forgiven and have eternal life. Well, what about us? What about this second command of loving one another? Well, we have been created for loving relationships. By the way, you will not find any kind of happiness, joy, and fulfillment otherwise. Remember uh, Paul Simon's old song, You Are a Rock, You're an Island? And it's a commentary on a person who chose to live alone, away from relationships. And he said, a rock feels no pain. But the song continued and said that, that this person was not ever a happy person. And that was a good commentary. But listen to God's design for us. Genesis, we have to go back to Genesis, the creation of man. Genesis 1, chapter 26, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. We read this about God creating man. Listen, God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. There's several things about this that we need to pay attention to. First, look at how God refers to himself in the plural. Let us make God, uh, let's, let us make man in our own image. He's using a Hebrew word called Elohim. It's a very unique word. It's a plurality of God, and most Theologians would concur that God here is referring to himself as the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, creating man. Secondly, notice the Genesis account. God created man and woman. Man and woman. Sexuality and gender are God-given. Now I'm going to say something that's going to be very hard for some of us here this morning. This whole battle in our culture of transgender and same-sex attraction does not come from wholeness, but comes from brokenness. Does not come from design, but comes from a broken place. Now, what's our response as believers to this community? Bigotry? Closed-mindedness? No, our call is to love these people and be Jesus to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is not going away, by the way. So start, stop, stop pretending that we're going to go back to 1880 or something. Ain't happening. Cultures change and we have opportunities. I worked uh, three years when I was in Chicago with the gay community. There are people who need to hear about the love of Jesus just like everyone else. So I'll just leave it at that. When God created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them, including man, God said on six occasions, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. He only says in the creation account, it's not good one time, and that's in Genesis 2.18, when God saw man was alone 
And he says, not good. So God created woman so that man could have fellowship with another person. That's the whole point of the marriage relationship is to learn to love. And by the way, is there a day that doesn't go by? If you're really honest, I'll be honest here in my marriage. Is there a day that goes by that I'm not tempted to be selfish and upset with Diane? Not many. Vice versa. And that's true of all of us. Why? Because we're selfish by nature. And we have to, to obey. We have to, to uh, struggle towards that obedience and need the power of Christ in us to live as God would have us live. Well, we went from design to, to sin and brokenness and selfish and hatred. How did that happen? We know the story going back to Genesis now. Uh, from the creation, Genesis 1, 2, we have Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve take of the forbidden fruit. We know the story. Their eyes are open. Sin enters the, the picture. And instead of love now, We see a broken relationship with God. We see him hiding from God. We see feelings of shame and inadequacy, fear, and they begin to shift the blame for their sin to the other person. God asks Adam, he shifts it to Eve, and God then asks Eve, and she says, the devil made me do it. No one was taking personal responsibility here. Probably the devil was the only honest broker in that passage. But if you read Genesis 3 through 11, we see fully a testimony of man's shipwreck condition. Because of sin, we see Cain kill his brother uh, Abel in Genesis 4. In Genesis 5, we see physical death. In Genesis 6, we see God's word tells us that the whole earth was filled with violence and every thought and inclination of man's heart was filled with evil. And we see judgment, the flood. When we get to Genesis uh, 10, we see people trying to make a name for themselves by building a tower called the Tower of Babel. It really is, Genesis is a testimony of the brokenness of the human condition instead of love. We find greed, selfishness, hatred, murder, violence. So instead of God's design for us, we see alienation. And all these qualities. Well, you know, this is where the gospel becomes good news. That's where it comes. And of course, if you know your Bibles, Genesis chapter 11, we see Abram, who becomes Abraham. Genesis 12, we see the great call on Abraham's life. You're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. How is he going to be a blessing? Because through Abraham, we have the nation of Israel. Through Israel, we have the word of God and Messiah Jesus. And through the Messiah Jesus, we have salvation. Good news. When we come to Jesus and believe on him, he gives us a new nature. Praise God, right? It's called the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He begins to transform our lives from being selfish, greedy people to a people who learn how to love God and love one another. You know, I I grew up as a child of an alcoholic home and truly in an abusive situation. 
So when I came out of that home, I really did not know how to love. I didn't, I wasn't parented well. Let's just leave it at that. I had to have my mind and my heart and my whole being transformed. And I'm still learning. Some of us here this morning struggle to know what love looks like. You know what pain does to us sometimes? Trauma, pain. It makes us at times very self-centered people because we're protecting ourselves. Love is not like that. Once you're free to love, then you can give yourself away because you're secure in who you are. And the only person who's going to make you secure in who you are is Jesus Christ. You're not going to ever do it on your own. Don't listen to any lie out there, some self-help regimen that somehow you're going to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and, and become a better person. Nonsense. You need Jesus. He's the one who will transform you from the inside out. Inside out. It's not about religion. See, religion's from the outside in. doesn't work. Jesus is from the inside out. We'll finish with this before we go to the Lord's Supper together. Jesus in his upper room discourse, this is in John chapter 15. He reminds the disciples and reminds us this. Listen to how powerful this is now. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Then Jesus said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he goes on a few verses later. This is how my father is glorified, that you... That's all of us here. Bear much fruit and prove yourself to be my disciples. Well, how? How are we going to prove ourselves to be followers of Jesus? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The fruit of the Spirit is a transformed life. The fruit of abiding in Christ is a changed life, producing qualities in us that don't come naturally because of our sin nature, but come supernaturally through the transformation of the Holy Spirit, God's love in us. The fruit of a changed life That brings us from being angry, selfish, immoral, greedy, bitter, unforgiving people to kind, patient, joyful, good, gentleness, and love all qualities that are expressed in relationship. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the living word of God. As we just share in the Lord's Supper now, 
May we enter with gratitude that the price to know this love has been fully paid. Thank you, Lord, that through Jesus Christ, the ransom for our sin, the note, says paid in full. We cannot add to that, but just receive it and accept it. Thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate this and remember. And I ask that your presence as we take of this table would be felt deeply by each person here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.